You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Dream Job Ready. My name's Dane Sharp. I'm your host and my guest for this episode is Ben McGrath. I worked with Ben at Rip Curl about 10 years ago, and he's gone on to have dream jobs with Vodafone and 20th Century Fox since. Benny was recently made redundant though, thanks to a company takeover. So I interviewed him to find out just how someone prepares and deals with that setback when they're chasing a dream job. The timing of this interview couldn't have been more coincidentally relevant. The COVID-19 crisis has obviously rocked small and large businesses and has led to millions of lost jobs all over the world. This interview took place back in February, so I wasn't even really aware of coronavirus at that point, and hence we don't discuss it in the interview. We do, however, talk plenty about dealing with job loss, managing redundancy, and then trying to stay ready for that next opportunity that presents itself. Everyone that loses a job or is involved in a redundancy is in a different situation. There's obviously some common similarities, but how one deals with it really depends on them, the support they get, and the commitments and a personal situation they have. Ben has actually gone through this a few times in his career, so he shares some invaluable insights and advice on how to best deal with it and how to keep yourself motivated for your next career move. I think you'll get a lot from this episode and I encourage you to share it with any of your contacts or friends that have recently lost a job or are simply job seeking right now. Finally, I really want to thank Ben for his time, his honesty and for opening up about his career setbacks and his current job search situation. This is Dream Job Ready with Ben McGrath. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. Thanks for having me. Very good. So kick us off, mate, before we throw back and kind of talk through you know, some of the work we did together and, and you know, some of that um, work you've done recently. Um, where are you, mate? Where are you in the job search? Uh, the inevitable job search. Uh, so I was made redundant at the end of August last year. So I took some time. I've got three small children, so been doing school drop-offs, school lunches, carnivals, all that fun stuff into Christmas. And now it's uh, the fingers are getting itchy, so to speak, and uh, it's time to get back behind the desk and find a job. It's uh, what will be February now, so everything's kind of people are coming back. Everyone's back in the office. People are resigning. So hopefully my next dream role will come up pretty soon. And um, from what you can say, talk us through the redundancy because you were at 20th Century Fox for about three years, right? Correct. Uh, it was a uh, redundancy via buyout. Uh, so Walt, the Walt Disney Corporation purchased 20th Century Fox, global deal. Uh, they are based in Melbourne in Australia. So they said, do you want to move to Melbourne? And I shook my head. 
uh, as did about 100 other people. So yep. uh, a lot of us all left on the same day. Uh, a few tears. There'd be a lot of 10, 15, 20 years there. So, uh, But it was a, fun, a very fun three years. And what were you doing there? Tell us about the role. So customer marketing. So I worked in the marketing team and kind of worked between brand, sales, and the actual retail customer. So we don't sell direct to consumer. That's the retailer's job, obviously, your big Ws and uh, JB Hi-Fi's of the world. Yep. So I would sit with brand and sales and, you know, we'd have a movie title, like an X-Men film coming to market after it comes from the cinema to DVD. And then we would work with JB to go, okay, it's going to be big. We want to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, put it in store on the website. Let's get in the magazine and work with them to get a result because ultimately sales for them means sales for us. Yep. And how do you get a job for 20th Century Fox um, you know, back before, obviously, the buy-up? You know, it's a it's a logo and a brand that you know, millions of us see um, quite regularly, mm. um, you know, showing up in front of films and et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's probably one that I don't really hear a lot of people sort of you know, talk about, I'm going to go work for there. So I got my job there actually via recruiter. Uh, so I, at that time, had had a few, had some time off after my last role at Vodafone uh, and was just kind of in the process of talking to a few recruiters and, you know, kind of putting my hat back in the ring. And one of them rang me up and said, look, I've got this role. It's at, you know, 20th Century Fox. It's entertainment. Might be up your alley. Um, you know, one thing led to another. I had a few chats, a few interviews, and then I was in. Uh, but not many people leave there. Yep. So it's uh, once you're kind of in, most people were there for the long haul. Good culture or good business? Fantastic culture. Yep. Um, probably one of the best I've worked in. So we had 15 in the marketing team, um, you know, not going to name names, but probably 13 were pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, you're working in movies, you know, yeah. TV. We had a f- cinema on level one that we would watch films in once a month. Um, you know, you get licensed product and just everyone was excited to be there because they loved what they did. Yeah. Um, and I think that really makes a difference. Talk me through any highlights. You must have got an opportunity to work with some pretty cool people externally as well. You know, you mentioned JB Hi-Fi as a retail partner, et cetera. Who, who, what network did you get to connect with? Probably more the retail guys. Yep. So, and the buyers are a very interesting breed. So uh, DVDs or, you know, home movies as a category um, within the retail businesses is declining. Uh, it's only single-digit growth. Or, sorry, single-digit decline. Yeah. Um, but within their businesses, they needed a big voice. So, you know, our category is still massive, but from a JB perspective, it's not as big as televisions, fridges, um, you know, even gaming. So yeah. we would need to work with those guys to get bang for our buck and, you know, how can we get overexposure in the store for them to sell product, for them to make a name for themselves internally. So we make them look good and then they buy more product. Makes sense. Mm. And challenging is it challenging working for a you know division or a category that that does have its challenges and in some way as you said is on a decline but you're still Mm. responsible for doing a great job definitely and you know you're very limited to your budget so we would get budgets based on a particular title so if it does really well then we get a bigger budget if it doesn't do so well we get a smaller budget but you still need to deliver so you still got to you know kind of kind of work those relationships with your retail partners to go okay well We've doing, you know, A, B and C, can we slide E in there and, uh, you know, for a lesser price or no price and let's get all those products on the floor. And also you kind of stuck with your elements too from a creative perspective. Yep. So, you know, um, Deadpool is a really good example. Ryan great Reynolds. Movie. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Ryan Reynolds had creative control over all assets for that film. So we wow. would get assets from the US, 
that were hand signed off by Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, wow. Any changes would have to go via the chain back up to Ryan Reynolds. So you kind of use what you got. As you go, as a, as a creative genius, <laughs> pretty good, I suppose. Movies yeah. have been crazy. Uh, $800 million, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And was working in film, in movies, is it something that still intrigues you? Did it intrigue you when you're, you know, in the younger years? It didn't. It wasn't actually something that I thought that I would ever be in. Yeah. Um, even DVDs. I, um, you know, when I kind of when the job description came across my desk, I kind of almost had the double take and go, DVDs. Mm-hmm. You know, who's still buying DVDs? Um, and it wasn't until I got in there that I found out it's a billion dollar industry. So there's a lot of people still buying DVDs. Hundred percent. Yeah, but it's it was just a really great place to work. Um, and I think the people really made it there for me. And that's kind of one of the things I took from Fox is that, you know, you can have the best job in the world, but if the people around you aren't great, it's not going to be a great job. And what makes good working relationships with people? What makes makes a good culture in your opinion? Hmm. Good relationships and good culture generally go hand in hand. Um, You know, if you've got reasonable, logical thinking, you know, normal human beings, then you will generally have a good culture. Uh, if you have a few bad eggs in that bunch who are um, selfish, you know, always just thinking about themselves and what they're doing and what needs to be done for them, then it makes it very hard for everyone else to be positive and have a good vibe. It's a good bit of advice for anyone, um, you know, starting out or, you know, early job hunting is um, you get sold on culture a lot. Mm. Um, companies that have a good culture will usually tell you that um, and you sort of just expect it to be good. And I think sometimes you sort of uh, underestimate how much role you have to play in that as well um, because without the sum of all parts, the culture would probably suck. So I think it's an interesting thing. You know, you've really got to contribute to it as well, right? You've got to have a crack. You've got to be you know, one of those logical thinkers in that example. Mm, absolutely. And, you you know, you've got to come to work with a happy face yep. because if you've got stuff going on at home and you bring it to work, that's going to show and people are, you know, you're going to bring everyone else down with what you're doing, um, you know, I, you know, I've got three kids, and there's always something going on at home. But you've got to leave it at home because the home is home and work is work. Yep. So, you know, if you go to work and you've got a happy face and everyone's everyone's kind of happy around you, then that makes for a happy work day. You can always go back to the other one later. Wrapping that up, the buyout was that a complete surprise to you guys or to to you? I suppose mm-hmm. in particular, did that come uh, out of the blue? No, we knew about that for about two years. Right. Um, something of that magnitude obviously had to go through a lot of commercial and legal channels. Sure. Um, Supreme Court in the US, HCC in Australia, yep. et cetera, um, the EU court type thing. Um, I think it was in somewhere in the value of $80 billion Australian. Wow. So it was a big deal. Uh, Fox was 125 years, I think, correct wow. me if I'm wrong. So there's a lot of history there um, and there's a lot of businesses, a lot of people, 25,000 plus globally yeah. within Fox and its, and its entities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they kind of had to do their due diligence and make sure that everyone was going to be looked after. Um, plus there was a few, you know, legal loopholes they had to jump through. So yeah, the date kind of moved and moved and moved a few times. Yeah. So for us, for a period there, it was kind of a limbo, but it was a, you know, we were still working. We were still selling products, still having meetings with customers, literally up until the very end. Wow. Yeah. From such a big company down to the individual, how do how does how do someone like you how do you, how do you process that? Like for someone that hasn't gone through it, buyouts, takeovers are becoming more and more common these mm. days than ever before. But you know, what advice could you give someone that hasn't gone through it that probably will during their career during their tenure? 
Look, I think the, the best bit of advice I can give you is, you know, don't worry until you have the detail, you know, because, you know, everyone will talk and people, there'll be rumors and people will say, oh, I've heard this and I've heard that and someone told me this and John reckons we're doing this. But at the end of the day, until it's in paper and on in front of you, don't worry about it. Yeah. Because, you know, I said to someone a few years back when we went through this, they said, oh, how are you feeling about, you know, we'd known for about a year or so. It's like, how are you feeling, Ben? And I said, well, the milk's still in the bottle. They kind of looked at me puzzled. I said, well, until that spills, I'm not going to worry. Yeah. And they went, oh, you're so right. You know, so, and maybe that's just me, you know, that's just glass half full, you know, the job's still there. We're still employed. We're still getting paid. Let's just get on with it. And when we know what's happening, we'll know what's happening. Yeah, nice. And did you see, was there people that took a different angle? Was there people that bailed straight away and started job seeking and you know, people, a lot yep. of people are going to start 100%. worrying? Yeah. That was, so there was about 50 odd 50, 55 people there. Yeah. Uh, I'd say within the six months leading into the date, I'd say probably four or five jumped mm-hmm. um, and walked away from redundancy payouts and all that kind of stuff just because they wanted to get out and get into another job. So talk to me about your mindset then because, you know, it seems like not the fear factor but it's it's one of those things or oh, something's coming, I better look after myself and better try and proactively get something new. Mm. Um, on the flip side, it is nice to probably just Take it as a day as it comes, etc. You know, what was what's what's your mindset right at that at that last sort of takeover point? Uh, for me, with a young family, I was actually going well. If I don't get a job straight away, this is a really good opportunity to spend time with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're nine, seven, and four. So you know, the four-year-old's at home still; he's not at school. So you know, you don't get those days back. Yeah. So I've just been hanging out with the kids and doing things that you don't get to do when you're in an office from eight till six every day or Monday to Friday. Um, And now that uh, kind of I've enjoyed that time and now it's Christmas is over, it's uh, time to get back in their seat. But I think everyone in that particular office had a different point. It was at a different point in their life. So, you know, some some of them were, you know, 30 and single and with a mortgage. So they really kind of had to get a job. They were a little bit stressed about that. Um, You know, others were... Like the PR director had been there 28 years. It's almost the only job she's ever had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the emotional kind of toll leaving that place is pretty heavy. Yep. Um, but, you know, she walked to another job as a coping. You know, she's she's great. Um, but everyone takes it differently. 100%. I think it's a, it's a good point actually around, um, you know, the different situations people are in. I, I've actually – I haven't been in the middle of a complete sort of company takeover. I've known people that have probably more so a bunch of years ago, um, you know, when I was sort of single and not tied down and a lot of those people took the opportunity to travel. I know a couple that um, kind of took the education route um, going after their master's or, or, you know, more education. So, yeah, I think it's a good point. There's actually multiple options, multiple multiple ways to approach it, um, not necessarily freaking out and going, I have to get another job tomorrow unless your situation provides. Mm. So, so here we are now. You mentioned getting that role came through a recruiter. Mm. Um Let's talk 2020 job seeking because there's a million websites. There's a you know, there's a million pieces of software now that help recruiters reach us, mm. us reach recruiters, etc. But evidently, it's almost getting harder and harder um, to to get placement in the workplace um, because of you know, sometimes that mass connection that everyone has. Um, what routes are you taking? What are you avoiding? You know, where where are you at? Where do you start? Look, you know, you hear different things. So I've had people tell me that, you know, 20% of jobs you'll get off a recruiter or off a job board, like a LinkedIn or a Seek, mm-hmm. and that 80% will come from your network. How true that is, I don't know. 
Um, and like you said, you know, everyone has these mass networks now with LinkedIn and Facebook, but the recruiter market is still strong. Um, I found that a lot of big brands are actually recruiting themselves internally, well, sorry, externally, but only for a short period of time. If they don't get what they need, then they will look to recruiters. So I've kind of got a few recruiters I'm working with that have sort of said, look, approach them directly because they, they work with us, but only after a period of two or three weeks. So whether or not there's truth in that, I don't know. Um, you know, for anyone who's looking for a job, you know, you don't want to have too many recruiters because you need to be able to know who you're talking to, what jobs you're talking to them about. Um, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to date too many girls. So mm-hmm. you kind of need to know who you're talking to. It's a bad analogy, I know. Um, but you need to know who you're talking to so you can remember, okay, I've spoken to them on Monday. I'm applying for this job today. I've got to follow them up next week. You know, otherwise you're not going to get a job. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, would you say, um, I mean, fundamentally, applying for a job and getting a job is the same today as it was 100 years ago, technically. Mm. Um, you know, go for a job, probably have to do your resume, have to have an interview, at least one. Usually now it's 12. Um, and you're either the right person or wrong person for that mm. person or that company. Um, you've obviously had to go for jobs before. What, what's the best advice you've had in the past or, you know, something you've learnt or something you've done that you thought that was a contributing factor to getting a job uh, or not getting a job you mm. think that you're pulling in now? I don't think I've ever really had any sound advice in terms of going for a job. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing I would sell to say to someone is just be yourself because those people that are interviewing you do that for a living. You know, they interview people every other day. So they will know if you're being fake or not by your responses, by what you're telling them, if it's rehearsed or, you know, if you're able to talk off the cuff, they will know if you're being you. Um, And so that's probably my one piece of advice. Okay, boom. Mm. Let's go back to uh, Rip Curl. Mm. So you're at Rip Curl for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. You came in there. I was was already at the curl. Uh, You came into the marketing department. That was your first proper kind of dream job, corporate role, mm. right? First big boy job. How'd you get that job? So I was studying, uh, doing my diploma and up in Sydney and part of the course was you had to work with a company like a almost like an internship mm-hmm. um, and I was working with the guys at the sales office there in North, uh, the Northern Beaches and they said, look, why don't you ring the HR guys? You never know. There might be something in Victoria um, and as luck would have it, there was. Um, had a couple of interviews uh, in Sydney um, and there we go. Off I'm off to Victoria. Easy decision to make a state move? Yes. Yep. Well, 24, you know, um, had a girlfriend at the time, but nothing, you know, it wasn't tied down. Didn't have a mortgage, no children, nothing really holding me to Sydney. Um, so we said, why not? Let's go. And spent three years down in sunny Torquay. Yeah, yeah. beautiful spot. Oh. What's the, the biggest slap in the face when you start your career like that? What what's the the biggest wow factor from a good or a bad or an mm. indifferent point of view? I reckon email. How slammed you get in now? Never having to do proper email and all of a sudden you you know you're tied chained to your inbox. Now I think that's probably the biggest shock from going into a first corporate role um, is the the amount of email that people do and still do to this day. Um, it just boggles the mind. Um, but it was definitely a wow. I mean you know working at the curl was probably different to most people's first jobs. Uh, working in an office where, you know, surfing at 11 o'clock was okay. Um, and if the surf was on, then everyone was out, everyone. But um, it was a great role. You know, we had some good times and had some good trips and and it was a, it was a hard decision to leave, let me tell you. 
Why'd you leave? Uh, why did you leave Root Curl? If I had a dollar for every time someone asked me. You've heard that a few times? Just a couple. Um, I think look, one of the reasons really was financial. So uh, by the time I'd made that decision, I was engaged, was building a house, um, you know, and you start doing your life planning, you, you know, you're looking for family and trying to plan how you're going to do that. Um, and the decision to come back to Sydney was probably more of a financial decision, um, trying to, you know, get ahead. Um, but I also left the curl without a job. So my partner at the time, or now wife, um, is in health. So we kind of went, well, you get your job. Once you've got your job secured, because it's a smaller industry, then we'll go. Yeah, right. So that was that was it. And so I'd left at the end of that year in uh, 2007, a long time ago. And yeah, came back to Sydney unemployed. Yeah. Without a house, nowhere to live. Concerned? Risk? No, not at all. Risk, uh, look, I think, you know, a lot of people said that to me. They said, oh, what are you doing? You know, got no job. And But at the end of the day, it's, you know, the risk really is small because you, it's a calculated risk. You know, we had we had money, we had somewhere to stay, um, you know, and she had a job, which was more important because, you know, her jobs are few and far between. Um, and it only took me a couple of weeks to get a job. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's, it's the natural sort of human reaction to fear and to sort of, get scared of that risk. And I remember when you left and, and you, know, you sort of said, I don't, I'm not going to anything and everyone was trying to pry and you must be going somewhere, you're being secretive and you're like, literally don't have a job. Mm. And it is a natural fear factor to kind of be concerned by that. Um, but at the same time, so what you're saying, two, a couple of weeks later you had, a, had another job. Yeah. Um, How would you get that job? Recruiter. Yeah. So I, I can't, couldn't even tell you who it was, it's been that long ago. Yeah. But um, same deal, just started making a few calls. Um, I didn't really have a network in Sydney, obviously, at that time. Um, and I was looking for anything and everything. And a contract role came up with Kia, uh, Kia Motors. Um, it was only three months. And um, so you had two interviews. And they said, yes, we like you. And I said, good, I'll come and work there. And after a couple of weeks, I went, I'm not going to stay here. Wow. Yeah. It was a, we talk about culture earlier. Yeah. It just wasn't for you. No, nah, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so at the end of my three months as I was kind of leaving and the agency who we worked with, um, the client service director there was a surfer as well. So we connected and he said, oh, where are you going? He said, why don't you come over here? One of the boys is leaving. You know, everyone, you know, the, you know, the products, you know, everyone here, it's an easy switch. And that's how I literally fell into advertising. Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not, not what you know sometimes. Correct. And, um, that's probably a good lesson for those who are listening, who are looking for a job. It's a lot of those jobs are who you know uh, and you never know where that job is going to come from. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a job and you're at, you know, Auntie Joe's barbecue on the weekend, just, you know, always talk because you never know who knows someone. 100%. Mm. Yeah, the network is, uh, well, creating a network at uh, first is, is such an important thing. Mm. Just, just really just really quickly um, on leaving the curl because, um, you, you know, two years in is, is still young, it's still new, um, you know, you, you, I'm sure you looked at, you know, a plethora of potential opportunities in Rip Curl. Mm. Um, it's one of those companies where a lot of people do stay. Um, you know, first episode I spoke to Neil, 17 years mm. he's been with the company. So they must be doing something good. And there's a lot of other people that have a similar story. So one of the reasons I left was I could see that I wanted to progress faster than the progression was going to allow me to do at the company. You know, I wanted to jump up and I wanted more responsibility at a quicker rate than what the company was going to give me at the time. Um, 
you know, can you think back and there must have been a consideration for you at the time going, geez, there's probably a marketing manager or a head of advertising or a role that's there for me at some point. No, I'm not going to wait around mm. or I'm not going to chase that in lieu of you know, making the move back to yeah. Sydney. Yeah, look, there's definitely a truth to that. Um, you know, I, I probably would have sat there one day and looked around the room and said, well, you know, there's, what do we have, 20-odd people in the marketing department. There's only really two or three jobs that I could have done, you know, and those guys weren't leaving anytime soon. So that was probably part of it. Yep. Um, and and just, you know, coming back to Sydney helped me accelerate career, you know, and there's a money part to that as well because, yep. you know, with children and, and all the rest of it, like, you know, you've got to have money to survive in the big city. Um, but also that progression, that being able to, you know, move on and challenge yourself um, and, and going to push yourself into that next role is, is what, something that I needed at the time. Yeah. So let's get into the advertising world mm. side of things because, um, you know, that you would have had to learn some stuff on your feet there. Um, you know, I'm sure hit the ground running to some degree. Mm. Um, talk me through the first, uh, you know, kind of uh, iterations you had in, in ad world. It was interesting. Um, and funnily enough, actually, my, my role at Ripcoll, I think, actually set me up for that um, almost as a kind of a quasi account director um, at the Curl. So when I was at the Curl, I worked with Neil, but also, you know, worked with all the guys in the team. So kind of coordinating a lot of people in different roles. Um, so advertising is not too dissimilar as a, a client service role where you are, you know, working with the creative people, you're working with you know, your partners in your agency. You're also trying to coerce your, you know, your, your clients into buying your ideas or paying their bills or, um, you know, it's, it's all relationship building, whether it's internal or external. Um, so I kind of was able to slide into it fairly easily um had some challenging accounts while i worked in advertising that's for sure yeah um went through a redundancy went through a merger um all in the space of about five years so it's one of those industries where you um you know you can be one company for 20 years or you can work at 20 companies over 20 years um so you're very much at the mercy of the clients and if the client moves on and there's one like another client coming down the pipeline we'll See you later. Yeah. So, um, which is where I left Moon when I was working on Vodafone. Yep. I just had my second child. So he was about three weeks old and got my orders out the door. Yeah. Which, you know, some people around me went, oh my God, you just, you know, you've got a two-year-old and a three-week-old. What are you going to do? I said, well, I'll go and get another job. You know, the job will come. Yep. Uh, and it did. And a phone call about three weeks later. My old client at Vodafone, he said, uh, you want to come and have a coffee? I said, uh, you've resigned, haven't you? And he said, yep. So the next day I went and had a coffee with him. He said, yeah, I'm resigning. Do you want to come upstairs and have a chat to the general manager at the time? So we went upstairs and saw her and she went, yeah, great. When can you start? Wow. And that was it. That literally no interview, no, no, no nothing. What was it about you that made that guy that was resigning – give you the opportunity i think because i knew i worked with them fairly closely over three years so we we did all of their in-store point of sale basically anything that went to the store was handled by, by our agency okay um so at the time he was leaving um and he was kind of uh, the two i see there and and they wanted someone in there that knew what they were doing and they went well ben worked on it for three years and knows everyone in the building he knows the product he knows what he's doing well i think that's what they thought anyway yep 
And uh, yeah, that was an easy in. They said, yep, come in for six months to sign a contract and we'll sort it out. And then, yeah, I was there for three and a half years. Wow. It doesn't surprise me though. Um, I hadn't seen firsthand a lot of that um, crossover. You know, mm. I've been more of a, a brand or a client side um, for most of my career, a little bit of dabble in the agency, but predominantly client side. At McDonald's, um, it was definitely an opportunity for people that were working in our agencies that we worked with, but wanted to um, you know, move over to the client side. The opportunity was there, but there was a yeah, there was a need to present yourself and you know, be great. Mm. Uh, and it's hard sometimes to be great in an agency because the agency you know, gets a lot of love. The people at the top of the agency get that kind of love, and mm. you know, the, the crew at the coalface that are doing those twenty six hour days to, to execute the campaign don't always get that recognition. But I think it's an interesting point. Would you would you recommend working both client side and agency side for anyone that's, you know, finishing their advertising or marketing or media degree at uni right now? Would you say, hey, in the next five, ten years you should have a double at both? Oh look definitely. I think, you know, if you're coming out of a degree, going into advertising um, as a first role is going to be a fantastic um, swimming lesson for you. <laughs> Because, you know, if you, especially if you go to a bigger agency where, you know, you'll have extremely tight deadlines, you'll be, you'll be working on everything from, depending on the client, but you may work on television production, radio production, print, digital, social media now, like anything and everything. Um, so that kind of experience actually then puts you into good stead down the track, but also helps you choose what you want to do. Yep. Um, you know, if you're coming out of a comms degree, you might still not know what you want to do. Um, so, you know, going through an agency and working across a number of clients, you could have exposure to different industries, also to the different mediums. So, you know, you might come out of that couple of years and go, yeah, I want to work in TV, but I actually want to do production. So you can actually get out of advertising altogether and get into production. Like you could go anywhere. Whereas you could go to a client role, you're pretty locked into that category and that product, so to speak. And that JD probably yeah, for the role. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and for the younger guys, it's, it's probably a good thing, um, and also the hours are pretty long, as you alluded to. So, you know, if you are, you know, young and carefree, advertising is very, very good. You know, you will work hard and you will play hard, definitely. Um, but going into a client role is, is definitely a bit more family friendly. Yep. What's, what's been your predominant motivator or motivators of your career? Motivator. Whoa. I think for a... From a motivation point of view, it's just doing the best that I can do in whatever I'm doing, um, you know, whether it being agency land or, you know, selling DVDs or even just, you know, networking with your customers, you know, just being the best person that you can be uh, and also doing the best for the company that you're representing. So, you know, if you're working for 20th Century Fox, you want to be the best person at Fox and know the most about movies and, you know, be that person that helps the JB guy or the big W guy or girl. Um you know, just be the best that you can be. Does that waver throughout your career? Because, you know, you've obviously gone from you start your career, like most people, you sort of single and not tied down and then, mm. you know, you accumulate, right? It might be, you know, you get a mortgage or it might be you get a, a husband or a wife, uh, kids, etc. cetera. Um, even within the role, you go from being someone that does usually when you start your career to getting the responsibility of managing or leading teams. The reason I asked that question, you know, you mentioned, I guess the the rip curl change um, had something to do with money. Mm. Um, you know, you've looked at, um, you've been through now a couple of different takeovers of companies and been sort of, um, I guess, the receiver of redundancies that way, etc. Um, 
I, I really think it's an interesting question to kind of think about. I try and think about it a fair bit. What's motivating me today and is it different than mm. what it might be in six months or six months ago? You know, having children definitely changes you as a person 100%. So there is always an underlying um, motivation for your children and whether that's um, kind of comes back to doing the job and doing it right. So, you know, you can stay employed or, you know, get that bonus to be able to provide for your children and your family. Um, that's probably a kind of an overlaid motivator. You know, you st- I still want to be the best Ben that I can be. Um, but by doing that, that means I'm able to provide, you know, provide a, a house for my kids and, you know, being able to you know, send them on school excursions and, you know, put food on the table and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it's very primal, but it's, you know, we're still the, the gatherers, so to speak, um, you know, and I want to be able to provide for them and, you know, give them everything that I had as a kid. So your kids aren't anywhere near working yet, uh, <laughs> lucky them. But um, if and if when they get to that age and one of them says, oh, I want to work in marketing, what would your advice be? I'd go for it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you want to work where your passions are. So, you know, if you love numbers and you love spreadsheets and all that, well, go into accounting, you know, go and be a financial controller. Um, but if you, you know, you like talking, you like people, you like being creative, um, you like, you know, you like to do things a little bit differently. Well, then that that's marketing, right? Like, as you know, the scope can be very big or it can be very little at times, you know, working on big brands from overseas that give you very little control. Um, I think you've really got to be a marketing person to work in marketing. Yep. A marketing person to work in marketing. Let's talk about okay. some fun marketing stuff. Mm. Got, got any uh, any highlights? Any uh, any you know clients that you work with that just gave you you know kind of brilliant work to do? Oh look, I can give you a quarter of a mistake. Okay, I like it. I Flipped like it mistakes. on me. Yeah. So working on uh, Kia, and I was pretty fresh. So we we talk about you know finding my feet in advertising. It was a brochure for the fleet guys. It was a small truck, and you know, gone through all the hands and everyone signed it. And I reckon about nine people signed off that little A6 flyer. We get the print copies on my desk a couple of weeks later. And my heart sank when I looked at it. It was the old truck. The picture on the front, the InDesign file had linked the old K27, not the K29, 100 truck. Wow. 10,000 brochures. Nine people signed that off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ultimately still my responsibility. So... Yeah, that was a good lesson in proofreading and attention to detail. Yeah. Um, admittedly, you know, everyone signed it off, but kind of the buck's got to lie with someone. So that was a very early, early lesson around detail. The devil's in the detail. Sure. Yeah. So you bounced around a couple of different agencies, right? So mm-hmm. um, you had, uh, who were you with first? You were with Brave New World? Brave New World. Yeah. Yep. A couple so, of years there, right? A couple of years. So working across um, mostly motoring, so Kia. Uh, a couple of you know, the Korean brand Sanyong. We did rebranding for Cricket New South Wales, which was interesting. Um, Air Pacific, we rebranded those guys. Yep. Um, and then I got poached to go and work at another smaller agency. So I worked on a couple of small clients there. And then we were part of a um, advertising group or conglomerate. Yep. Um, and they were going through some tough times. So they kind of folded some of their smaller agencies. So we got moved into a bigger agency. Yep. Um, so I had the uh, joy of keeping those clients but getting new clients, which was fun, um, with a six-week-old baby at home. So that kind of did my head in a little bit. And uh, so I went searching for a new role and uh, landed at Moon working 100% on one client, which made me happy. 
And that's where I got introduced to Vodafone. I know I was about to lead into Vodafone. Mm. So huge brand here in Australia. Um, you were there for a couple of years. Um, senior campaign manager mm. was the job title that you went by. Yeah. Um, let's talk telco. A couple of different roles. Yeah, it was interesting. So when I, when I started there, I was in the retail team. So we were predominantly looking after point of sale in store. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the time, it kind of morphed. Sales took retail out. Then I kind of went into the... Well, they call it the brand team, which was a mix of ATL, BTL, local area marketing, kind of a bit of everything. Yep. So I did some brand work, some campaign work. Um, the, probably the one I really enjoyed the most was some targeted ethnic marketing, which is really, really interesting. Um, and it's about that whole talking to people in the language they speak. Mm-hmm. You'll actually get results. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and we saw results. And uh, it's really, really interesting. And even just looking at the data, um, like the Vietnamese in New South Wales predominantly live in three postcodes. That's wow. it. Yep. It's crazy. You know, and the dealers, we, you know, we'd go out and talk to these dealers and they would get people walking in with their phones saying, can you can you tell me what this text message says? Second generation, they still don't speak English or read English. Wow. So being able to, to market to these people in their language with an offer tailored to them was amazing to see. And a lot smarter than... <laughs> exactly. You know, like even just looking at, you know, Vietnamese and Chinese two different offers, you know, um, yeah. and we looked at um, sales in their stores and they went up. So it was, uh, it was really interesting. And just the insights, you know, rather than doing broad, sweet marketing, actually doing targeted marketing and going, understanding what they want and what they need. It's fantastic. Well, in my opinion, it's obviously the most exciting thing these days uh, when I look at marketing is, is the smarts that we now have behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love the subjective, creative, go with your gut, feelings kind of stuff as well but you know the the actual you know insights you can now dig up to give you informed decisions is, is ridiculous mm. and you know you've talked you've had roles a lot of roles now um in the retail world uh, and i i think of anyone coming out of university these days thinking of you know where can i make an impact in the next couple of years i do think retail has gone through a really rough uh, time in the media in the last bunch of years mm. purely looking at you know bricks and mortar versus digital the minute that conversation goes away, I'll be happy man because I think the, ex, the the opportunity in retail because of what we now have digitally and data is actually the exciting part of it, not one versus the other. Mm. Um, you know, my, my role at McDonald's, we had the opportunity to digitise you know, uh, the biggest uh, food and restaurant chain in the country and in the world uh, and take them from that bricks and mortar into the digital stage and the smarts you have behind some of the decision-making to do that based on just being smart with what you can talk to or talk about with the customer is crazy. Mm. Um, does that stuff going to get you excited now? Like do you think you're going to stay in retail world? The million-dollar question, Dane. I don't know. Um, retail definitely does excite me. It's, you know, it's being able to see something, an idea come from 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 nothing, you know, to get a product on the floor and to get it into the hands of a consumer. Um, I really enjoy that. So I think I, I probably will stay in retail of some sorts. Where? Man, I don't know. It's, uh, that's the dream job that's still yet to elude me. Um, and look, to be honest, I think the dream job is always going to be one step away. I don't think anyone's ever really going to have their final dream job. You know, we're always searching. We're always looking for the next best thing. And uh, you just got to enjoy what you're doing right now. Take it one day at a time. One day at a time. Hey, I've got a question for you. We do a uh, student question of the week uh, in every episode. 
Um, and this one, it's not specific uh, about any job in particular, but I really like the question. So this is from Jane. Her question is, what superpower is most essential to be successful in a job? Oh, good question, Jane. Do you want me to repeat it? What no. superpower is most essential to be successful in a job? I think it's a really good question. I think hmm, it probably depends on what job, but I think if you're in a corporate setting, being able to work with people. So when I say that, being able to understand how somebody works. So everyone does things differently and being able to see and understand how everyone does things differently will get you ahead because doing one thing for everybody like we are in marketing, using your smarts to be you know, targeting your consumers, working with the people, your stakeholders internally differently and the way they want to be worked with will get you far. Is that something you've learned recently, learned at the start or learned halfway through your career? Oh, look, I think that's something I've learned along the way. I think it's something that you will learn in every job that, you know, not everyone is the same and everyone does things just a little bit differently. Um, and if you treat everyone the same way, you're going to get very different results. So understanding the people you work with and work for um, will definitely get you ahead. Awesome, mate. I really appreciate it. Hopefully that answered Jane's question uh, nice and loud. Superpower. I have to think of my own superpower. Um, mate, just to close, I'd love to sort of, I'd love you to wrap up kind of, um, I guess, the, you know, the key opportunity you're looking for now. Like what, is there a key factor that, or multiple that are super important in that next dream job. You don't have to give me the job or the company, <laughs> but um, yeah, what are those couple of things that for you now in your uh, you know, place in your career are most important to you? There's probably, there's probably two. One would be culture, definitely, because you want to be able to wake up and want to go to work. You know, I've worked in places where I didn't want to work um, and it didn't make life enjoyable. Right. I wasn't a happy person. So, you know, when you're happy that you're going to work because you're going to see your work family and, you know, you're going to have some fun times, that makes you get out of bed. That's good to be good. Um, I think the second one, uh, it's probably not a hard and fast rule, but flexibility. You know, as a family man with, with young children, flexibility now, uh, which we're seeing more and more of in a lot of big brands, um, I think is key. Um, not a hard and fast rule, but it's something that a lot of companies are bringing in um, and allowing people, you know, kind of moving hours around or, you know, being able to work from home um, based on workload, of course. Yep. Um, but un companies that understand that everyone has families and, you know, we're not, we're not, we can't all be chained to a desk anymore. I want to riff off that a little bit. Flexibility because mm. it is, it's topical. Isn't it? Um, and I do think it means different things to different people. It does. Um, talk to us just about, I guess, the variety of different flexible options you've seen businesses deploy or you yourself mm -hmm. um, would relish in? So uh, at 20th Century Fox, um, we worked a flexi day. So we had core hours were 10 to 4. So all critical meetings had to be within that time. Um, and then you either came in early, finished early or, you know, for example, so most days I was in by 7.30 and out the door at 4, um, which would allow me to be home for, you know, after school pickups and dinners and all the fun things that go along with having a family. Um, whereas a lot of uh, guys that worked close to the office in the city, they would come in at 10, you know, have a workout, come to work, and then they'll work through it all six or seven. So that for me, flexibility around, um, you know, being able to work, work around your particular lifestyle um, is great. Um, I've seen flexibility in, you know, I've got friends that work one day a week from home, like a hard and fast rule. So Fridays is they're at home. Yep. They've got a setup. 
yeah, they linked their server, they, they are working, they take their calls like they would at work, but they're just sitting in their lounge room. Um, so yeah, different things for different people, I think, work. Um, flexibility for me, it's probably more around family. Flexibility, culture, simple. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, as you said, the uh, the milk's still in the bottle. Um, <laughs> wish you well with the job search. I know it's not going to be uh, too long. As you said, a dream job's only a day away. Um, make sure it's a good one. Um, and thanks heaps for being on the podcast, mate. Really appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.